0: Alright, welcome back to the Buffalo Bread Podcast. We are entering our Week 14 slate of games. The Buffalo Bills are leaving their bye to head down to Kansas City and face the hated Chiefs, um, which is kind of an annual fixture at this point, heading down to KC. You know, when are those fellas going to come up here is a, is a great question we all ask. Every year, and every year the NFL answers, never. You're going to play at their house every year. It's great. Um, as we all know, Sean McDermott is 6-0 coming off of a bye in his time in Buffalo, and uh, all 6 of those games have been played at home. So, we're going to, you know, test fate this weekend and see what, you know, whether that trend continues and the Bills can continue on, a, on or start hot run to the end or if, you know, Bills Mafia collectively start looking at the draft this weekend. What do you think, Dan?
1: JJ, all I know is I'm ready to be hurt again. I can't wait. <laughs>
0: I've seen so many people posting memes to that effect. Like, well, the bye week is over. I'm ready to be hurting. Exactly. Exactly.
1: There, there's, there feels like a positive energy for the most part coming, coming into this game from some of our, some of our key contributors on offense and defense. But man, it's, it's also been a wacky, wacky bye week for the bills. A lot of some disturbing stuff in the vein of Von Miller, which I'm sure we're going to get into. Of course, the, uh, Tyler Dunn, Sean McDermott, expose, uh, oh, yes. for go long as well. Um, it's made it a little bit hard, I know, for me to focus on the football aspects of the the game coming up because there's so much swirling around here, too. But then also you've got Deion Dawkins chirping about how it's killer B killed and the team feels locked in, Jordan Phillips doing his usual trash talk around the league oh, <laughs> during God, the bye week. So it's this weird mix of kind of surreal news coming from bill's camp but also the players that are on deck seem to be handling it really well and seem to be focused with the task at hand which is beating kansas city so you know we're not going to have an answer as to how much the off-field stuff with the bills is a distraction until probably we get the result of the kansas city game um so jj it's i it's it feels a little bit difficult to uh To kind of gauge where I should be at right now, any other team in the league that had all the stuff swirling around it, I think I would be worried, but there is an also an unusual sense of calm and confidence coming from the leadership, the player leadership of this club. So I, I don't know. I don't quite know how to feel, but I know I'm looking forward to seeing what the bills do on Sunday for sure.
0: I think that's a fair place to be. I think that's a lot of where Bills Mafia is, is that we saw two consecutive games where the offense looked like it's supposed to look against the Jets and then the the Eagles, and both of those being exceptional defenses. Um, And so seeing an offensive performance against those defenses, you know, was great. Unfortunately, the defense uh, led by Sean McDermott could not get it done against the Eagles. Uh, And so, you know, we're really in a position where the, the big question comes, can the Bills do what they need to do um, to get a lead and hold it against these Chiefs who have been kind of vulnerable in the second half of games? Um, and the whole landscape is really wonky right now. The NFC is weird because there's like four front runners and everyone else is like two or three games behind. And so this weekend, likely in the NFC side of the slate, things are going to be locked. You know, some teams are going to um, clinch their playoff uh, uh, position, if not their position, the, playoff, the playoffs as a as a thing. Um, and then in the AFC, I feel like it's going to co- maybe the top couple of seeds will get locked in prior to Week 18, but I feel like four through seven will probably still be in play all the way through the end. Um, and you know, we saw the Patriots, the two and what two and ten, two and two and nine Patriots uh, beat the Steelers two in,
1: on two and ten Patriots. Two and ten, out 10 now. Yeah.
0: That's right. Helping them out, um, you know, after the Bills helped them out by giving them one win, which really, you know, I presume I'm just going to play the conspiracy theory that the Bills didn't want them to have a top five pick. And so they tried to help them with a win early in the season, not realizing that the season would fall apart and that it would become really important that they didn't lose that game. Um, you know, they're that playing four, some, that's 40 some mental chess. Gymnastics. Yeah, exactly. Some mental
1: gymnastics, man.
0: Playing some 40 chess. They're trying to, you know cripple draft down the line you know because they could they had the leeway to give up games which they didn't i'm just lying i'm just trying to justify i'm pleading with myself for a reason to make it make sense that the steelers uh were a, a worse team than the patriots on the field last night however um the bills were a much better team on the field and somehow got worked by the um now benched um, uh, McCorkle Jones led, uh, uh, Patriots. I don't know. And, yeah.
1: The, the NFL is just, we got to accept that it is a week to week league and the things that you see in one week don't necessarily translate or carry over for a variety of different reasons. That's just the way the NFL is built this year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so, so here we are, we have got, um, a number of teams that we want to lose every game. We want the dolphins to lose every game. We want the Steelers to lose every game. We want the Colts to lose every game. We want the Browns to lose every game. And the Texans, Broncos, Bengals, and Chargers also to lose all their games. Um, We have the benefit of playing against the Dolphins and Chargers as we close out the season for the Buffalo Bills. Um, But everybody else, namely the Broncos and Bengals, um, we either have played and they've beaten us or we don't play. And so it's really not a situation where the Bills have totally their, their destiny in their hands. They really have to get some help down the stretch in addition to winning out in order to have a good playoff position.
1: Yep, there is no statistical projection, be it from the New York Times or ESPN or 538 or any of these other the playoff uh, playoff number crunching predictors that have the Buffalo Bills in any scenario being a 100% lock. Even if they win out and go 11-6 and six this season, J.J., their highest potential to make the playoffs only hits 97%. So there is a small Pretty good, hit, though. <laughs> pretty good, but there is still a scenario where the yeah. Bills could win 11 games and totally miss the playoffs as well. So the Bills have given up because of their poor play in these previous 16 weeks, or 6 weeks, 12 weeks, wherever they are, um, yeah. because of because of their inconsistent play. They've really put themselves in a position where they don't totally control their own destiny. 11 wins gives them the best shot, but you go from 97% according to New York times playoff predictor at 10 wins. You are a coin flip if you're the Buffalo bills and at nine wins, unless some things really bend your way with a lot of these other teams you mentioned losing at nine wins, you are in the, the low forties is an opportunity. So the bill, listen, the bills are in one out territory if they want the most control over their circumstances.
0: For sure. And the, the, wild thing about it is like the AFC East is still in their grasp if they win out like you would think that they were completely cooked in the water right now, but they're not um and this weekend you know just games to watch Bills Mafia we already saw the Patriots get it done against the Steelers which we wanted to happen we want the Bengals to beat the Colts because the the ideal is that all these teams that are like 7 and 4 and a game ahead of the Bills and in the win column we want to bring them all into the messy middle, you know, mud puddle with everybody else. Everybody wants to, we want to bring everybody close to 500 because that's where the bills are so that when the bills presumably, you know, ascend out of that depth and get plus five, you know, above 500, that they're kind of riding high and getting into, into playoff ranking. We want the Jags to beat the Browns uh, we, because we want the Jags to kind of run away with that division. Uh, we would like the Chargers to beat the Broncos. Again, Broncos have a head to head on the bills. And then finally, Monday Night Football, the Titans to beat the Dolphins. This all means almost nothing if the Buffalo Bills cannot get it done against the Chiefs this weekend. And so that's kind of where we are. We'll break down the, the Chiefs matchup in just a minute, but I have two questions for you, Dan. And I'll start. The first one is, who are some players down the stretch for the remainder of the season that you need to see something special from that we haven't yet seen to this point? For whatever reason,
1: I think um, I think you and I both agree we're going to take Josh Allen off the table here because he's an obvious one. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I think we're talking more supporting cast. Yes. Yeah. Um, and here's where where I'm going to go with this. Uh, there needs to be the emergence of a true number two pass catcher to Stefan Diggs, be it Dalton Kincaid or Gabe da- or or Gabe Davis. So I'm going to go Gabe Davis. He is in a he is in the last year of his contract, he is poised to be a free agent, he has put up inconsistent ball to say the least this season, and they really need him to kind of find his groove at the tail end of the season if they're going to make a run. The Buffalo Bills, J.J., have struggled when they cannot work in multiple pass catchers behind Stefan Diggs. Dalton Kincaid, Has done a great job here in the latter parts of the season um, with his, his effectiveness in the offense, both under Dorsey, towards the tail end of Dorsey's tenure, and under Brady, as he has gotten his tenure off to a great start. But Kincaid is a tight end. Granted, plays more like a wide receiver. But the Bills, if they're really going to hit those explosive plays and they're going to take the roof off defenses, they need a more stable, solid number two option. Khalil Shakir has been great, but he brings a lot of value in the slot, too. So that leaves us with Gabe Davis figuring things out on the outside opposite of Stefan Diggs. Listen, if there were a time for Gabe Davis to step up, it would be now. He has had his best moments as a Buffalo Bills in clutch positions, in clutch performances, and every game down the stretch is going to require that. So for me, JJ, I got to see something from Gabe Davis. I think it transforms this offense when there is a reliable outside threat opposite of Stefan Diggs on the other, um, for the Buffalo Bills. And I would love it to be Khalil Shakir, but he, he to me means too much with his crisp route running and perfectly time releases. He means too much to keep the middle of the field to me alive for Allen. Um... I want, to see, I want to see Davis step up. If not now, when? Like, do I think Gabe Davis, no matter how well he plays, will be re-signed by the Bills at the end of the season? No. So what I'm looking for is a pretty epic swan song from him to close out his Bills career before he moves on.
0: Well, and it makes sense to him, of course, as a player, that, you know, he should turn it on. This is a contract year. If he, I mean, the reality is if he does not make some hay in these last four games five games five games five games five games yeah i got it that makes me feel a little bit better i was worried it was only four so in these last five games if if gabe davis doesn't make some hay he's in the he's in the world where he may be forced to take one of those jordan poyer insanely low deals where the bills are just like this is your value good luck see the market you know and then he you know has to sign for way less with the W's. um because I think there is a 10 to 14 million dollar per year contract out there for Gabe Davis if he can reliably get 60 to 80 yards per, per game and one or two tutties, right? Like that closing out the year with four touchdowns and averaging about 70 or 80 yards per game will get the contract I'm talking about, which is like three years, 14 million per year to be a team's 1B, probably. Yep, absolutely. Yep.
1: Uh, J.J., another player, and I'm going to kind of cheat with this one. I'm going to go 2A and 2B. The Buffalo Bills, per DVOA, are 32 out of 32 teams when it comes to defending an opposing team's wide receiver, too. They're the worst team statistically in the league when it comes to defending an opposing team's second option at wide receiver. That is a direct indictment of Christian Benford when he was playing opposite Trey White, and Dane Jackson, who we have talked about his limitations um, at length on this podcast. Heading down the stretch, the Buffalo, and if the Bills somehow miraculously make the playoffs, they're only going to face good teams with multiple pass catching options, including the likes of teams like Miami that have two very solid pass catchers on the outside. If the Buffalo Bills are going to make a run, they need to figure out something between benford and jackson now that Razul douglas to me feels pretty squarely like our cb1 and they need to figure out how to right the ship when it comes to defending the second option the second outlet option for a lot of opposing teams so i need one or two or ideally both of those guys to step up
0: sure i think that's a good one i think that um that kind of lends itself to one of my um, what I need to see better and more from uh, picks for the rest of the season is I need Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde to both prove to uh, prove to the Bills, prove to the front office, to their teammates, to the locker room, to, um, you know, us fans watching that it's worth keeping them on the books with kind of, you know, not super high, but relatively inflated veteran contracts for what has been to this point. Occasionally. S- uh, you know, occasionally good play, but rarely great play. I think that we've had we've seen flashes of Poyer down in the box doing the kind of big nickel, um, some linebacker type roles, and we've seen Hyde kind of roaming the the deep middle of the field as he does. Um, but he has looked a step slow and out of position too many times. Jordan Poyer has missed some tackles and missed some run fits and missed some opportunities. You know, playing the ball that he usually would have come down with. And so really what I'm seeing from from Poyer and Hyde is they're getting older, they're getting slower, and I hope that the two of them can turn it on for the latter half of the year, um, you know, the last quarter of the year, to really make a push for this playoffs because I think that what you're saying about, you know, we need our CB2 to step up to shut down that outlet option, um, I think that... Poyer and Hyde can, can help with that quite a lot, but they need to show better play. We need some splash plays. We need them to look a little bit like the, you know, all pro Poe and, and Micah Hyde, you know, deep middle, um, you know, outfielder playing the ball, you know, over, over his shoulder in the playoffs type of type of guy. So yeah, I think we need to see a little bit more from them because I think that that's another component of covering that secondary option that. It's probably, you know, it's probably because some of time, some of the times that the safety help designed in the system is not getting there to help that CB when they know they have help. You know, we know from the watching the Sean McDermott defense, oftentimes it's a combination of coverages. It's I'm a CB playing inside leverage. I'm using the boundary as a defender, and then I'm letting the person go over top of me because I know that's where I have help. But that requires the safety to identify that route and squeeze down. And how many times have we seen Poyer flying into the frame a step or two too late to break up a pass? And sure, they tackle the guy, but he's already got the 17 yards for the first down at a long and late third down that they really needed to stop on. So that kind of leads to to one of my um, recommendations for a player we need to see more from. And I'm actually going to flip back over because you had Gabe Davis. I'm going to flip back over to the offensive side of the ball. And I think we need to see James Cook firmly take a hold of The offensive backfield. I think that, you know, we've seen Latavius Murray eat into his touches a little bit. We've seen Ty Johnson eat into his touches a little bit. I'd like to see James Cook hopefully get over some of the mistakes he's made in the last couple games, mostly because they result in what I consider idiotic benching for portions of time, um, because it just seems an inequitable response to one player making a mistake when that doesn't apply to the rest of the roster. But that aside, I think that, you know, James Cook has all the skills needed. To really step forward and kind of own this backfield and declare himself RB1. Um, and the Bills have been averaging the second most ga- uh, rush yards per game over the last three weeks. So I'm really hoping that, um, that they are able to kind of continue that trend and develop the, the run game. Because as we know, you know, as much as it might be boring and as much as people may be like, oh, that's, you know, Sean McDermott's conservative approach is, is making sure you establish the run. We know what the run game can do in the playoffs. We watched it happen to us when Cincinnati ran all over the Bills in January last year. We've seen it happen, you know, in multiple meetings with different teams um, that establish the run on us and keep Josh Allen off the field. And all of a sudden, the, you know, the, the point scoring ability is neutered for the Bills.
1: Yeah, I, I like your pick of James Cook, and I flirted with picking that for, as him for one of mine, too. The only reason I didn't is because right now, his the roof on his performance, the ceiling on his performance feels stunted not by his own control, but as you mentioned, by the control of the coaches. So unless there is something that is going to change with the way they manage that running back rotation, and I'm hearing rumblings from a lot of Buffalo, Buffalo reporters that, you know, Mick D is thinking about calling up a uh, playoff Lenny for this game to to further eat into the the snaps of the more dynamic James Cook. But um I, I think I think for I think for that to happen to me, that doesn't feel player controlled. Coaches need to on the staff need to stop outsmarting themselves and just roll with a clearly more dynamic and potent player, which is Cook. But I agree with you. If he figure if he if we can figure it out for Cook, and he can become that dynamo in the pass-catching game and the run game that we know he can be, the outlook of this offense and the ceiling and potential of this offense improves exponentially for the stretch run here.
0: Yep. All right. Um, do you want to address, I, I know we got, uh, do you have any other players first before we move on to our next segment?
1: Yeah. Somebody other than Leonard Floyd on the defensive line to sack the <laughs> any, quarterback. Anybody. Yeah. Any, can,
0: I, can I get one Anybody.
1: Person? And that's no, yeah. that's no shade at Rousseau. Because yeah. Rousseau's had a really good year, and he is, so di- he is so dynamic in stopping the run game as well. It's really something to behold. And we know Ed Oliver has been an absolute game wrecker. I mean, a lot of his run-stop win rates and pass-rush win rates, despite the fact that he is, still, he is seeing more double teams now for obvious reasons that he did when Jones was in the lineup, have still remained consistent since Jones went down. I mean, Oliver is having just a hell of a season. But we have said this before, and it bears repeating when we go to play the Kansas City Chiefs. Pressure versus sacks. Pressure on QBs that are not Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson um, can really affect other QBs. The problem is that down the stretch, we're facing only good QBs, with the exception of Bailey Zappi. Um, We've got Patrick Mahomes, who we know handles pressure really well. So if you want to, you want to beat him. You got to put him on the ground. Dak Prescott having a great year under pressure this season. Um, you've got Justin Herbert, who there are. It is an open question: is he a really good QB or is he just a really fun QB to watch in highlights? But he has also shown some promise against pressure. Tua Tungovalo, who we'll see at the end of the season, not great when not great when blitzed, not great under pressure. But he gets the ball out so quickly, a lot of times it negates and it doesn't even matter. So the Bills have to prioritize not just pressure. They've got to prioritize bringing a lot of these QBs down to really rattle them out of their game plan. Leonard Floyd is doing it at a fantastic pace for the Buffalo Bills, but he needs a partner in crime. And I I don't think that's going to be Von Miller this season. So it's got to be some combination of Greg Rousseau or A.J. Ebenezer to really step up.
0: Well, and I agree. And I think that that's going to, you know, we need to see something from Greg Rousseau. His fifth year option has to be decided on um, this offseason. And that's a, I think it's a $14 million guarantee um, for that fifth year. And so they have to decide on it in in the fourth year um, for the fifth. And so that's, that's something that's coming up. And then AJ Epineza is playing for a contract. Again, he's in a Gabe Davis type situation where um, it's his time to show it. We know there's money there for defensive ends, and he's putting together the stat package that will him paid. Likely not at the Bills. I think the Bills will have the opportunity by pulling some levers in the offseason to free up some cap space and get one of Leonard Floyd or A.J. Epineza back. And I know that you do not like resigning elders to this defensive line, but at this juncture, I'd rather have Floyd than Epineza, um for a one- or two-year deal at most because he still has some juice. Um, but you know, I think that it's a, it's a, it's a situation where I agree. I think that somebody else needs to bring some heat. And if that is, you know, um, at Oliver from inside, I think that's an okay answer for me too, or some other alternatives in that way. Uh, so speaking of pass rushers, we have the, uh, well, we have a couple of things. So we have a nine one one call that resulted in von miller being asked to turn himself in being charged and having an arrest warrant issued. And then those claims recanted by the caller, but the district attorney in Texas is still determining if there will be criminal charges. I think that's, I think that's the, the, the summary, right?
1: Yes, that is correct. Um, that is kind of where things stand right now with the von miller situation from a league perspective. The Bills have, have uh, stated they have no indication that he'll be going on the commissioner's exempt list, which means he does still have the ability to play and be active, and the Bills have said that he will be active this Sunday against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, JJ, I, we, have, we have not shied away from talking about off-the-field situations around the league and with this team, and I—listen— I, There is a lot of, I think, toxic discourse that happens when situations like this come up, and there is a a lot of calls for due process, and there is a lot of calls for innocent until proven guilty, and all of those things, and all those things which I, I absolutely believe are true, but I also do think that as the process plays out, it is fair to read a lot of the actions that were reported in the police report and draw some conclusions from that, that while we do not have any final answer on what may have happened or what the legal process will will bring to bear, it is fair to say that football and football reasons for activating Von Miller feel like cold comfort and small in comparison to the gravity of the situation that he is facing off the field and the questions that may pose to the Buffalo Bills franchise as a result of how the legal process may or may not play out. I am surprised, quite frankly, that the Bills are not showing more restraint in their actions towards Von Miller right now. I'm not saying they need to cut him. I agree. The process needs to play out. But I am surprised that given the the history of the Bills and how they've handled some of these um, off-field situations with their players in the past, I am very surprised that there is not, a, not, there is not more restraint or caution being shown in this particular situation. Because again, if you are to believe even some of what is in the police reports that are, have been um, available as a result of the story breaking, there are some allegations that I think it is worth taking a pause and reflecting and asking ourselves, is the football field in a prime game against Kansas City really where the bill's franchise needs to position Von miller right now there are just some things that are bigger than football and i'm surprised that the bills are are handling this with the i don't want to say carelessness but ambivalence that they are yeah
0: yeah yeah, really it's toneless for them to to act as if the fact that a decision has not been made in a court of law it's it's toneless for them to act as if that erases this as an incident that occurred in the world you know like i i think that there's still answers there's still answers to be had certainly legally but i think that the narrative of a person potentially assaulting and choking pregnant woman um who's you know probably less than half of his size and being the aggressor in that situation even if it is just an allegation at this time even if that person for whatever their their motives were recanted that claim There's still apparently audio recordings. There's still apparently enough evidence of it because the call was made and and authorities responded that it's not outside the realm of reason of rationality to say, Hey, Vaughn, why don't you sit down for this game? There's a lot going on. You're inactive. It's essentially a paid, you know, paid, paid vacation from the team for a little bit while this all, you know, we sort this all out because I think that. I agree with the people who say you know due process you know uh, innocent until proven guilty um, about you know him being immediately cut from the team. I think that that would be a bridge too far. But I do you know you know when they say that that's the wrong move. I do believe that um, it's just having some distance and you know being able to say and like the other piece of that is Brandon B, Brandon Be nor Sean McDermott was willing to to speak a single word about this with any other media availability. In any terms other than you know, we've spoken to Vaughn and we're just kind of sit waiting for the league to make a determination. None of them were even able to speak out to say, like, listen, the allegations of this are horrifying, right? Like, I think that's appropriate for a coach to say. To say, like, we don't have answers on anything. We're waiting for the league. The allegations of this are horrifying. Like, the the fact that one of our players is a, is accused of domestic violence is something that nobody in this building stands for. I think is that's not you're not saying that this person's cut you're you're just saying like listen this is out there everybody knows it everyone's looking at it. it's pretending you don't know what the allegations are is it's just a bad look in my opinion mm-hmm.
1: yeah no i mean there's no there's no doubt and again it's given the track record of being in mcdermott their prioritization of quote-unquote character guys right. being on the team and things like that this feels like a little bit of a departure i'm not gonna lie um It feel it and maybe this is naive, and this is as I as I now formulate the sense in my head, I definitely think it sounds naive. It but I think we have put a lot of trust in these guys to not just steward the product on the field, but the culture off the field as well. And this really does feel like a point of difference and variance from previous instances of how the Bills have handled these types of situations. It is probably largely motivated by the fact that McDermott feels like he is coaching for his job, or at least a, there is a, a urgency of this team to quote-unquote right the ship and get it right. And they may look at Vaughn as, and his eventual ability to play healthy is too important a piece to that. And again, I would say to that 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 is, given the gravity of the real-world situation that is happening, that feels like a small view a small gaze and a narrow gaze on the, the true impact of the situation. And listen, there's these situations are complex and they are hard to unpack for a variety of reasons. So we are not saying again, cut or end his football career, but we are saying that there needs to be time and space for that process to play out. And it is hard to give that to the player and the other people that are involved when you are utilizing this player and and handling the situation and messaging the situation as if nothing happened. And again, the police report is not declarative. And also, the respondent statements are not declarative as well. There there are a lot of reasons why someone in this person's position would recant a statement like that. They're about to bear Von Miller's child. And there are thoughts of, Potential financial support that could go by the wayside. How do I care for this child if the father is not in the picture? There are a lot of really scary calculations that people in abused relationships make, unfortunately, because they are prioritizing something other than themselves and their own well being, often the well being of a child in situations like this. So, again, we don't, that is all to say that we don't know what the outcome of this is going to be. And anyone that purports to, is lying to you but what it does mean is that there needs to be time and space for this process to play out and those things are not gained to me at least with the lack of restraint and patience the way the bills are handling the situation
0: yeah no very well said and you know i think i'll kind of a final thought on the whole thing is the, the immediate feel i get from the way they are handling the situation is that depending on how big your contract is the variability of the bad shit you do is is lesser is is worse or better depending on how big your contract is i if von miller if if a person if von was a fifth string you know defensive end not just playing like one but was also a practice squad defensive end he probably would have been released from the team already just on an allegation without any kind of legal process playing out
1: Yep. For the, for the first time, it feels like the culture, the McDermott and Bean have quote unquote created. Uh, it feels like every other team's culture, I think maybe for the first time is how I'm experiencing it right now. But, uh, but that's a tough one, JJ. And on the topic of McDermott, he has also had a a rough week for reasons unrelated to his handling of the Von Miller situation. Um, how, how much do you want to get into this Tyler Dunn thing? I mean, at my read on this is that it is a Rorschach test for how you feel about McDermott. One person may read this and feel like this confirms everything they su- have suspected and have seen of McDermott and his coaching and his handling of the media and his handling of postgame conferences and all of that. And then for others, it could feel like a potential hit job full of lies and of disgruntled players and disgruntled employees who didn't fit with the winning culture that McDermott has brought to the team. So, how how much do you want to get into this? And are you pro Tyler Dunn, or are or, or are you anti Tyler Dunn? That's where I want to know where you are right now.
0: Uh, so, I'll start. I'll I'll start by saying whether I'm pro or anti Tyler Dunn can be can live on its own aside from whether I'm pro or anti this particular three three article series twenty thousand plus words on Dermot. I am pro Tyler Dunn. I've, I've liked the material that he's done. I feel like he, at times through his career has proven to be a capable journalist who has, you know, occasion. I think this is the thing with Tyler Dunn. He has a bias to his, to his voice. When he writes an article, he is trying to convince you of something. And as, as a journalism major in undergrad, I pick that up immediately. Right. Um, and so, but that's, that's not to say, you know, that's not an, automatic condemnation of somebody as a journalist because that is a lot of journalists. That is a lot of journalists in the field. It, being completely impartial and just reporting the facts as they are um, in proper prose is very difficult. And so, you know, there tends to be a little personality, a little bit of bias in the way that Wright that comes through. So saying that, I, I am a fan of Tyler Dunn because I think his approach to long form, form journalism, to kind of working sources and and putting together narratives is something that is missing in the sports, in the sports media. I think the quick, you know, five or or 10 sentence clips on like NFL, you know, rumors and stuff like that has become, you know, the 140 characters on X or Twitter is like what we count as news now. And I don't think that's true. I think there is a space for something in a little bit more in depth and nuanced. And so I do appreciate Tyler Dunn for that. Um, how much I want to get into the articles. I'll say, you know, I read I read every damn word of them. And as a person who has a long has has long been a Sean McDermott defender. Has long been a it can be so much worse if you get rid of McDermott person on the internet argument argument of things. I think what I realized through reading was it's sort of like when you um it's like when you buy a car and then you just see that car everywhere when you're driving. Except what I what I see that all this that was revealed to me is confirmation of the of the thing I believed about McDermott but wouldn't let myself verbalize, which is that I think we have verbalized it on the pot a number of times, but I think it's it's an endemic problem that I don't think is going to go anywhere. I don't think he's going to learn or grow past it. And it's that he gets tight, emotional, and coaches scared. we all know this. He kneeled. 20, kneeled out the end of the game, 20 seconds left, didn't let, let Josh Allen even try to get into field goal range. Like that that came through in spades throughout all three articles was this sense of a person who is so micromanaging, who is so tight to like that winning culture, who also was referred to as like nobody in the building cares more about a championship, cares more about working hard, cares more about making it happen for this team than Sean McDermott. But that can come to bite him at times when the chips are all down and it's the darkest, and he grips too hard, and that infects the sideline, the people, and then all of a sudden you have people making mistakes, missing tackles on key third or fourth downs, trying to trying to catch the take the interception instead of bat the ball away. All of a sudden it's a hail mary, right? Like that is the kind of thing that. Um, the article came through with the with number of sources and almost every single one of them anonymous, unless it's a retired player who had really nothing to lose and usually was talking favorably about McDermott. Um, that's all to say, reading through it all, some of the stuff was like, you know, the big headline that's making its way around right now is McDermott's failed attempt in the training camp of 2019 to give a motivational speech about what a team can do, can really accomplish if they put their heads together. But he his his reference point was the 9-11 terrorists and um kyle williams tried to summarize to the players on the field after that happened as an already retired player kyle williams is like well i think what sean was trying to say is like imagine what these dudes who are evil can accomplish in terms of calamity and terror um and where are the good guys imagine what we can do with our level of commitment to doing good. And it's just like, that is God not bless like Kyle. Williams. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, and that's the thing is like, that's Kyle Williams, incredible interpretation or translation of what was a far worse speech. And so he's getting dragged in the media for that whole thing. Cause it came out through that article. And like, and I guess a number of different sources confirmed that, Oh, that absolutely happened. Um, but, uh, and he, I mean, McDermott all but confirmed that that actually happened too. Because he even has said, you know, I, I, you know, regret making those sorts of comparisons, and I, I didn't. That was not my best speech. I was still learning to be a leader, um, which I actually appreciate him coming out and actually addressing something and taking some, you know, some culpability. But, uh, but it's really like, you know, top to bottom, I think that the the thing I take from it is, I don't think it's lost with with Sean McDermott. I do think if he doesn't figure out a way to not coach so scared and so tight in the biggest moments and they continue to lose then he must we must move on from him as an as an organization and that's that's it like they are seven and five in games where they have a between one and eight point lead in the last two minutes in since 2021 that is the worst win percentage in that specific scenario of any team in the NFL and that is Sean McDermott
1: yeah I I believe that teams take on the character of their coach. And what is the thing that we have said about the Bills in the McDermott era? If they stopped beating themselves, if they would simply get out of their own way, they would be gangbusters and the best team in the league. I think uh, this article to me encapsulated a lot of why the character of this team is the way it is. Because Sean McDermott is clearly a guy who is in his own head, who is stuck in his own process, oftentimes drowning in his own process. And as a result of that, he tends to be his own worst enemy, be it a a horrid, horrid exercise in comparative analysis to try to improve the communication skills of his of his squad Um, or be it in game decision making. He is his own worst enemy, clearly, because of the mental process that he chooses to go through and chooses to not deviate from. And the Bills have taken on that character, too, as a team that cannot get out of its own way in key moments. So it, to me, the the article, I think, encapsulated that for me in in, in a large way. I'm always hesitant with anonymous sources because yeah. there are, you always have to be mindful that when... Y- when you are in a position of leadership and power like McDermott is, and he has the close proximity to the decision-maker that he does with Bean, and you're in that position for that long, people are going to leave the organization, be they coaches or be they players. And eventually, the cone of silence that you can create over one Bill's drive is going to break down and splinter slowly as people move away from that location. And it it is happening to McDermott because one, I think there are some facts in the story that that bear reporting, but two, the opportunity to report them has increased because of the long tenure that McDermott has and the trail of former coaches and de- uh, departed players that you leave behind in your wake when you have such a long tenure. So the opportunity has presented itself. The facts, to me, again, other than the nine eleven story, which is just truly bizarre, and I'm. I'm going to take McDermott at his word that he was just a lousy leader in that moment. And he didn't recognize it immediately yeah. and corrected it. But the story for me confirms, I think, more largely why the Bills are the type of team that they are, because they have taken on the character of their head coach is, is a guy who cannot get out of his own way.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that the other the other piece of that that um, was sort of a revelation to me. Reading the article is a number of different points in time that were pointed out and they were less, you know, ambiguous than anonymous sources because it was like specific pull quotes from, you know, press conferences and things like that. After big time losses, the number of times Sean McDermott has either blamed nobody or blamed the offense for a clear and complete, um, you know, collapse of his defense. Right, Like that is, that was the thing that another thing I took away from the articles where I was like, Ooh, now I'm remembering these press conferences and you're right. Each time he says, Ooh, execution, or we didn't get it done. And that starts with me. He never actually expanded on it. That starts with me. And my defense was called wrong. He would say, Oh, you know, we didn't get on and starts with me and then go on to blame the offense for scoring too fast and giving Mahomes too much time, like 13 seconds, too much time. Like that's. It is just, you know, that's the thing that also worries me. And like you said, a team takes on the personality of its coach and somebody who's unwilling, who preaches accountability, but then when his defense or his calls or 12 men on the field, which is ultimately his responsibility, is a reason for a loss, he does not take accountability squarely on himself other than saying, like, weird platitudes and things about everybody needs to look in the mirror and try to get better. Like, that's, I think that's one thing I also took from it. But that's that's what it is. We hopefully won't see another massive, um, you know, named end of a game horror show like we saw with 13 seconds or um, 12 men or whatever it might be um, this coming Sunday against the Kansas City Chiefs. Do you want to get into that matchup a little bit, Dan?
1: Yes, but I feel like you've already put a hex on this game by saying hopefully we won't see it because <laughs> now I feel like it is assured that we will see something. Uh calamitous ending for this game we
0: we know it's gonna be tight i'm I'm pretty sure of that i feel like this is gonna be decided by six or less points Is my opinion of this game
1: yeah you know breaking down the numbers for this i i could see that as a possibility but there i don't know i got a weird vibe on this game i get positive for the bills but let's dig into it so i can work my way through the rationale
0: absolutely why don't we start with the uh the Buffalo Bills defense versus this chief offense, because I think that that's probably, you know, if we're going to talk strength on strength, it's probably Bills O versus Chiefs D. But I think, you know, the second tier of of this, this teams or these teams matchup is really Buffalo Bills injury riddle defense versus this chiefs offense that just can't seem to find its identity. And will have an even harder time of it um, with, you know, um, breakout running back Isaiah Pacheco down for the game, um, out with a, uh, a shoulder injury, I believe.
1: Yes, he will be out. So I think they said uh, McKinnon is going to get the start, or is it Clyde yep. Edwards Hilaire? One of the two.
0: One of the two. Uh, Clyde. Uh, this is one thing I'll say anybody who's like dragging the Bills for missing a, the Kyrie Elam pick, the Elam pick was around the same time that Clyde Edwards Hilaire was picked by the Chiefs. He's been almost a almost as bad of a bust in terms of getting things done and productivity
1: that is a that is a long way to go you are you are doing some mental gymnastics that is yes. a long way to I'm go trying to justify try for... everything <laughs> well and yeah. e- elam's also not cooked yet too i still got yeah. hope for that kid but, i know yeah anyway i digress we can't do another elam diatribe no here. <laughs> no no so uh, i so we are starting with uh the chiefs offense and the bills defense and i'll tell you this That's is right. an this is an interesting, an interesting matchup from the standpoint that it is simultaneously both strength on strength and weakness on weakness, and something is going to have to give. And what I mean by that, J.J., is that the pass rush of the Buffalo Bills, as we have discussed, while Leonard Floyd is the, the, the clear producer on that defensive line, other guys have had, have had some decent seasons in Rousseau and Oliver. And the Buffalo Bills are third in pass rush win rate, according to ESPN stats and info. They now go up against an offensive line in the Kansas City Chiefs that is first in pass block win rate. So this is the epitome, line for line, strength for strength, when it comes to the Buffalo Bills needing to do what they need to, to try to put pressure on Mahomes and bring him down. What I mean by weakness on weakness, JJ, is these two lines are also the bottom third of the league, respectively, in run-stop-win rate and run-block-win rate. So the Buffalo Bills, I think, rank 19th in run-stop-win rate, and the Kansas City Chiefs are 22nd in the league at run-block-win rate. So these are two teams whose strength is clearly engaging with the pass game, and weaknesses on the line are engaging with the run game. It's going to be fascinating to see, though, the offensive approach that Andy Reid decides to take, even with Pacheco out. Because this this wide receiver room for Kansas City, I feel like it's fair to say, is maybe the weakest they've had in the Reid-Mahomes marriage. And the drop rate for this wide receiver unit, we make a lot of the big drops that we see in primetime, but the drop rate for this unit has been consistently high all season. Outside of Kelsey, and maybe Rice, the rookie, rookie wide receiver for Kansas City out of SMU, there are not a lot of options that Mahomes trust. And he proves it with a lot of his decision-making. He's no longer the point guard ball distributor that he was even last season, their first season without Tyree Kill. So there's got to be some sort of pressure release valve on Mahomes in this game that I think is going to tempt Reed to engage with the run game a little bit more to see if the weakness that he has in that area can at least be stronger than the weakness that the Bills have in stopping it. I think back to that 2020 COVID game, the one that got rescheduled between the Bills and the Chiefs, and it was the last time I think the Chiefs played in Buffalo. Andy Reid ran the ball in that game, JJ, 40 times. (laughs) Andy Reid doesn't do anything in a game 40 times. He ran the ball 40 times in that game. And so I think what we're going to see in order to negate the strength of the Bills but also engage one of their weaknesses is I think we're going to see a balanced offensive approach here even with Pachanko out and I think we're going to see the Chiefs break out some some interesting play selections when it comes to running the ball I don't think it's going to be 50-50 but I think the Chiefs are going to focus in on the run and running at a higher clip to try to keep the Bills offense off the field but also try to expose a potential weakness with this otherwise pretty stout defensive line for the Bills
0: well, and I think the other piece of that is that, you know, if I'm the Chiefs, the way I want to attack the Bills is establish a run enough that I don't think uh Patrick Mahomes doesn't do a lot of play action. Um no, but they're not
1: they're not, not gimmick. They,
0: they don't yeah, no. they don't do a lot of play action, but I do think that, that that's a perfect wrinkle to add to this game. something you don't do a lot of. Have Kelsey, you know, fake run block for two beats and then head out on a route. And all of a sudden you have a great, you know, mismatch because Travis Kelsey versus either Terrell Bernard or even Tyrell Dodson is a little bit of a size mismatch in terms of, you know, being able to break tackles. And so I think there's some opportunities there, uh, you know, just because I know that there there are people that I I hold near and dear that would be um, remiss if I didn't mention uh, Taylor Swift will be in attendance for this game. Uh, The Chiefs are four and one. At home when Tay-Tay is there, so just keep that in the back of your mind as well. Uh, since we're talking about the chief, so and uh,
1: you're on a heat. You're on a heater I know, tonight. Right? I will tell you, you're pulling. So, you're pulling these these engaging and exotic stats that's right. out of nowhere.
0: Exactly, <laughs> exotic stats. Um, I'll give you an exotic stat. This uh, this marks the first start, first career start for um, rookie tackle Wanya Morris. Uh, he'll be taking over for Donovan Smith on the left side, which is Patrick Mahomes is not a southpaw, is he? He is not. Okay, so that's his blind side. Um, So hopefully Leonard Floyd, A.J. Epineza, maybe Greg Rousseau and some switch snaps. I'm looking at you guys. Get something done against a rookie in his first start at left tackle. Um, They're going to want, especially if they don't have Pacheco, they're going to want to get Jarek McKinnon um, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire going on screens. So I think that those are two things that the Bills have to look for. Looking for Rasul Douglas, Teron Johnson to, you know, click and close, um, because that's something they do very well in zone. But the the Chiefs will start to try to get them going on screens and get Pat on the ground is the other key to the game. And I think you mentioned that as well as there's going to be some opportunities. This Bills pass rush defense is one of the better ones in the league. The um you know the Chiefs are one of the better pass blocking teams in the league, but I think that that also takes into account having Donovan Smith at left tackle. With you know the shuffle on the line, there may be some opportunities around the edges for the Bills. The interior is just rock solid. It's going to be really hard for the Bills to make anything. And even with as good as Ed Oliver's been playing, um, going up the middle of it against Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, and Trey Smith is is a very very that's a tall task for anybody. As an, an extraordinary burden yeah, that Ed Oliver will be yeah. bearing, their their pocket integrity is is pretty excellent, and so Jawan Taylor at right tackle has had a decent up and down season, but certainly with Wanya Morris uh, playing for the first time in the starting position at left tackle, those those are the weaknesses. Um, but dude, like I'm not a, fr- a Rashie Rice is a, is a very smooth route runner and tends to make some things happen. Justin Watson's a decent, you know, possession receiver. Sky Moore, eh, up and down. I just don't see any real threats on the outside other than Travis Kelsey. Um, and I think that their running game and screen game takes a huge hit without Pacheco in the game.
1: Oh, yeah. The, this is an offense that can absolutely be had, and I would even I would even be so bold as to use the term be shut down. Now, the question is... The Buffalo Bills have enough healthy bodies on offense to do that. And I think you're at your point about the Chiefs using more play action, I think is important because where the Bills are weakest right now, especially with the question, the, the open question about the remaining efficacy of Poyer and Hyde is over the middle of the field. And it has been, it has been the case with Dodson um, replacing Milano uh, since Milano went down. So play action would really open up the middle of the field for Mahomes in a way that I think could really help them establish the passing game in ways they haven't been able to this season and potentially get into a groove uh, against a team that is not the Las Vegas Raiders, which seems to be the only team the Chiefs have had any kind of passing success against. Um, So it'll it'll be interesting to see because the Chiefs, JJ, the Chiefs don't do that. 80, 83 percent of Mahomes' dropbacks do not include play action or an RPO. They are straight dropbacks that they're trusting Mahomes to, make the right, Mahomes to make the right read and make the right throw. So if they add that wrinkle in and they 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 choose that little bit of creativity, it it could be a long, longer day than we anticipate for this Bills defense for sure.
0: Yeah. And if I'm the defense, I'm trying not to use pressure looks. I'm trying to get as much natural pass rush pressure as I can and cluttering the passing lanes because that's where we know Patrick Mahomes will will eat you alive if you have soft zones, if you play man. Um, especially that is the area where Rasheed Rice and Sky Moore crossing can like really, really hurt you. So I, I think that that's, you know, we've we sort of got a blueprint for how we would expect, one, the Chiefs to attack the Bills if they want to kind of hit them in an unexpected way, and then two, kind of the things, the keys that the Bills should should kind of put on their their platter for this game on defense against the Chiefs. Do you want to talk about our Lord and Savior, Josh Allen?
1: I do, and the place that I want to start is the is the I think the most obvious matchup, that is Spags, Steve Spagnuolo, the defensive coordinator for the Chiefs against Josh Allen. Spags is known to run a, a multiple front, and he will disguise looks, he will bring pressure, he will use odd odd man fronts, he will do whatever he can to confuse. Um, and attack the opposing QB. And while Josh in his last five games against the Chiefs has been absolutely gangbusters to the tune of 14 TDs to only two interceptions, he has struggled against this Spags-led defense when the Chiefs have chosen to blitz him. Now, Josh against the blitz is usually money, but we have seen in stretches this season from the Jags game, I think, right up until the Jets game where the offense seemed to finally right itself that Josh struggled at, at, at a um, an unlikely rate against the Blitz this season. But consistently against the Chiefs, JJ, he has struggled against pressure against them. So against the Blitz in the five games that Josh has played against the Chiefs since 2020, he's only completed about 49.2% of his passes. Um, compare that when the Chiefs choose not to Blitz Allen. And he completes his passes at about a 70% clip, 69.9% to be exact. And his average yards per attempt skyrockets from 4.9 to 9.4. So if I am the Bills, I am expecting the Chiefs to bring as much heat as possible. And not only because it's proven to be effective in stretches against Josh when he has played this team, but because the Chiefs have struggled, I think in recent weeks, it's fair to say, to Generate pressure on the opposing QB. They're still, I believe, second or third in the league in overall sacks, but when you look at their production uh, via splits over the last three and five games, they have really struggled in their pass block win rate, but also in their sack production as well. So this feels like a defensive line that, for a lot of reasons, is on the decline, or teams have figured something out in their scheming to negate or at least stunt this Kansas City Chiefs pass rush that was so effective earlier in the season. So I think not just because it has been historically for effective against Josh Spaggs is going to bring bring the blitz, but I think if they're going to get any pressure on him at all, it feels like the way this Chiefs defensive line has been playing, it's going to be a necessity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe one of the things that you're you may have kind of uncovered that has changed is that they their middle linebacker, Nick Bolton, uh, has been on IR with a with a wrist uh injury they had had surgery on kind of like uh, our Dawson Knox. And so I think that might have taken a lot off of their pass rush because he is a middle linebacker who really works so much better playing toward the line of scrimmage and not necessarily dropping into coverage. Um, like his running mate, the the Sam linebacker Drew Tranquil, who will be out with a concussion uh, this week, which is an excellent, excellent opportunity for the Bills. We can talk about it in a minute, but I agree. I think that if they, you know, if Chiefs defense want to get anything done, they have to get pressure on Josh Allen. And thankfully the you know Buffalo Bills have the lowest sack percentage in the re- league. They have one of the best pass rush um or I'm sorry, pass blocking win rates in the league. And so hopefully can keep that going um to hit some of those long you know, long over-the-top and intermediate throws down the seam because the uh Chiefs will be missing, as I mentioned, Drew Tranquil, who is a, an excellent modern linebacker in terms of coverage, um, kind of getting to a spot a little bit lighter, a little bit quicker. Um, And then they're also missing their starting free safety, Brian Cook, who's in his second year. And there were a couple of plays, big gotta have it throws that Jordan Love was able to make for the the Green Bay Packers after Brian Cook left the field. And Mike Edwards, who who replaced him, was a little bit lost in the coverage. And so I'm certain that with some more practice, knowing he's coming in as a starter, Mike Edwards will will better than he looked in that Green Bay game because it was honestly a pretty massive liability with him in the deep third. Um, and so we'll see what happens. Uh, Justin Reed, their other starting safety is very, and will be there, but he, he plays a little bit closer to the line often. And so there's really some opportunities, I think down the middle of the field. Um, the place that the bills will maybe struggle a little bit is with the outside receivers. I know that Stefan Diggs is not afraid of Le'Jarius need and, uh, everybody on the team is bigger than Trent McDuffie, but, um, they're both pretty scrappy and they both will, uh, will play the the point of attack pretty hard uh, with the ball. They'll come down and tackle too. So um, yeah, I mean, that's my, my prescription for this, you know, a Bill's offensive win is one, let Josh cook, right? Like let him pull it down and run it. Let him have a man advantage in the rushing game and kind of do some design stuff. Um, attack the middle of the field uh, again with the absence of Drew Tranquil and Brian cook. And then, that when you're running the ball against this chief's defense, which is very good against shutting down the run, but very bad at the yards per carry for some reason. It's one of those weird statistical confluences. The bills have too, which is they hold enough. You know, they, they hold the other team to few enough rushes and make the other team pass enough that when they do pop one, it's usually 18 yards or something. And so it throws that whole yards per carry way off um, because then their yards per game is, is low and they're pretty good defense. But, um, I will say, if the Bills offense is going to run at this Chiefs, Chiefs D, either run directly at Chris Jones with a double team on him, or run to the farthest possible gap away from him. When I've been watching the film of games the Chiefs have have completely shredded the opponents in their attempts to run, it's because the team is trying to do like a center gap or a guard gap that's adjacent to Chris Jones, but not directly at him, so he's one-on-one shedding the block tackle for loss fumble you know like there's a lot of different things happening there he's amazing and um there's only one way to beat him by running running the ball towards him and that's directly at him with a double team
1: yeah and i would add one more prescription jj to what you laid out for a successful buffalo bills offense offensive effort and that is play action the green bay packers the jordan love green bay packers um absolutely sucked in these backup linebackers and the backup safety for the Kansas City Chiefs utilizing what felt like every play, a play action down, play action rep. They were sucking those guys so close to the line of scrimmage that it made some of those shots over the top that you mentioned possible on that Green Bay game. And we know that Josh is the best QB this season statistically when he is running play action. And the Buffalo Bills per success rate in the league are number two overall in the league via um, success rate when they run a play-action pass. So the Bills, I think, have an innate strength that they can use to expose what has become a massive weakness with the injuries this Kansas City Chiefs uh, defense are facing in the play-action game. So I'd like to see them not only run the ball in some creative ways and maybe maybe some powerful ways right into the teeth of that defensive line, but also use some of the run to set up some effective play action as well, because I think, I think this is a game where we're going to see the Buffalo Bills potentially take the top off this Kansas City Chiefs defense in the second half if they set it up the right way with their reps on the first. And
0: they will be gettable without you know uh, Brian Cook in. They there is an opportunity there. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. This. Yeah,
1: I. I feel good about this game probably because I'm a delusional Bills fan, but yeah. I, I think as we have broken it down, offense defense, there are more pluses for the Bills in the win column than there are. There are negatives for them on both sides of the ball.
0: Agreed. And uh, the only side of the ball that I think that the chiefs are in invariably better in every possible way is special teams. The Bills special teams has taken a pretty massive downturn this year and been an unfortunate decider in some games, or, or caused some games to be much closer, or be losses. You know, at different times, whether it's a missed field goal, um, you know, a punt return touchdown in overtime, like various places. Um, the special teams needs to be better. Uh, Harrison Butker for the KC Chiefs has not missed a single kick this year, um, which is impressive. Uh, but it's just another kind of that's an area that they're they're doing so much better, and it does matter that you know in the scheme of complimentary football.
1: Damn. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they are, the Buffalo bills. Meanwhile, are 22nd in overall DVOA yep. on special teams. So this has not been a banner year for a team that pr- uh, prides itself on playing all three phases.
0: What about hitting some predictions sure to go wrong?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm feeling very confident that, uh, what I'm about to say will absolutely be wrong. Let's start with. Score. Okay. Yes. Um, I've got, so Just so everyone is aware, this game, this line opened up at two and a half in favor of the Chiefs. Chiefs minus two and a half. This line as of 4 p.m. today was all the way down to minus one for the Chiefs, which basically means that on a neutral field, the Buffalo Bills would actually be favored by about two points if you give three points to the home team. So there is a lot of money going on the Bills this game. I don't think there is a lot of confidence out there in the betting public. With That this Chiefs offense is all of a sudden going to right the ship um, this far into the season. Um, this offense probably is what it is. And the question that you have to answer is, with this offense for Kansas City struggling so much, even with some of the deficient parts the Bills have on defense, do they have enough to slow it down? And my answer to that is yes. And more importantly, I think the Bills offense will unquestionably be the best offense this Kansas City Chiefs defense faces all season. And not that they've been untested, but they haven't been tested by an offense, the quality of the Bills at this point. So I think the offense has a big day. I think the defense has a surprisingly good day against Mahomes. And I'm going to say Bills win. And I'm going to say 34-21. They're going to win by a couple of scores.
0: I like it. I like it. Um you got thirty four twenty one. I've got the Bills uh winning twenty eight eighteen and I'm hopeful for workman my workman like win. Workman yeah, more like workmen like win. And I'm hopeful for my cardiac health that the twenty eight is like it's twenty eight ten late in the fourth and the eight is like touchdown with two point and they need like a onside kick with a minute left and it's really kind of out of hand and you know, there's no way they're gonna get two scores in the time that's left, but uh but we're all sort of gripping a little bit, but not like we have been for some of these overtime games. Nonsense we've had to deal with this season.
1: Yeah, nice. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, Any props you want to prop? Yeah, Josh Allen over under 45 and a half yards rushing.
0: Hmm. 45 and a half. I'm going to slam the over on it because I think that that's a component of this offense for the rest of the run.
1: Yeah, I agree. The We have always joked that Josh Allen running is like the break glass in case of emergency yes. option, and we are in a state
0: of freaking emergency yeah. with what we <laughs> the, need to do in order to make the postseason here. The, the glass is crunching under panicked footsteps at this point because it's already been broken.
1: Exactly. And again, if we expect Spags to bring the pressure packages that, that he is known for, Josh is going to have to buy time with his legs and potentially break the pocket when needed and maybe gain some very important yardage with his legs in this game. So, yeah, I I, I agree. I'm going to take the over. I think this feels like a 55-yard, 60-yard rushing performance for Josh. Cool.
0: Um, I've got uh, Stefan Diggs, one and a half touchdowns. Under. Over, under. under.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know the last time he had a multiple multi-touchdown game against Kansas City but the second, the the outside corners are are excellent. I think he's going to get one. Diggs always finds a way to get one, and Diggs is a matchup nightmare, I think, for either Snead or McDuffie, depending on who is on him, but I don't necessarily think that this is going to be a game where Diggs is going to get multiple scores, and I've got no good reason for thinking that other than Josh in the Brady Brady offense has been a great distributor of the ball all the way around. I could see multiple guys getting touchdowns for sure, but I don't know if the target funnel to Diggs exists in the way that it did early in the season. So I'm going to say under. I think he gets one.
0: Fair. All right, do you uh, have another prop?
1: Wait, what are you? Are you over or under on that?
0: Oh, I, oh I, I'm over. i over. I proposed it because I think Diggs is going to have a 2-TD scoring game. No, look yeah. at you. Look at you yeah I think he's gonna, he's gonna come on you know and, and kind of assert himself you know those games that Diggs occasionally has where like the bills are kind of down and out and he like shows up and just roasts a a DB that everyone thought was a was a you know absolute game breaker Th- oh, that's yeah. what I'm looking for you know and it doesn't even mean he gets like 200 yards or something insane it just means he has like a good 60 or 70 yards but he goes for two scores and really kind of rubs it in the face of Leious Sneed or whoever is covering him one on one yeah, that
1: would be amazing. I'd love to see that. That'd yep. be vintage digs for sure.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, do right. you got any defensive props or any other props? I do. Buffalo
1: Bills over under two and a half sacks against Patrick Mahomes.
0: Oh, I'm gonna take a sad under because, and this is why I think that Patrick Mahomes is like. Not as escapable as Josh Allen, but he's relatively close to that level. And for some reason, when the Bills are, they they like he's like Houdini when they try to get him on the ground. So I'm I'm thinking two, but a not over, not over two and a half.
1: Yeah, I'm taking the under as well, and it's for exactly the reasons that you mentioned. Mahomes just is very evasive, and this Buffalo Bills defensive line has had a really hard time bringing him down consistently over the course of this this mini rivalry that they've had since since 2020.
0: I got one defensive prop for you. Bills over under half of interception off of Patrick Mahomes.
1: Yeah, I'll take the I'll I'll take I'll definitely take the over on that. So in so they've played 5 games since 2020 as I've said multiple times, but Mahomes has actually thrown averaged one interception against the Bills over his last 4. He's thrown 4 in his past 4 games. So, yeah, I think the Bills are going to take one for sure.
0: Yeah. Great. Yep. That's that's the last prop I got.
1: Yep. All right. Excellent. Um, JJ, we covered a lot of territory in this particular pod, but uh, here is to hoping that this is the start of a glorious and amazing run for Buffalo Bills on the way to the postseason, because if they don't pull it out in Kansas City this week, um, our our hopes could be dashed more quickly than I think any of us are prepared for. So, JJ, thanks for podding with me. For all of you listening at home, like, share, and subscribe. Wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Apple, Spotify, and as always, go Bills. Go Bills.